start off a little differently with us, my sermon this morning. I'm going to start off with telling you the scripture that it's from and then tell you a little bit about my journey around preparation. Normally, normally you just see people turn up at church and they share a sermon and then, then you don't ever think about the process. Um, I've only got one scripture and it's Matthew chapter 7. And it's reading from 7 to 14. So seven, Matthew chapter 7, if you've got a Bible, please open it there. Um, and you'll, you'll recognise, you'll recognise this scripture. In fact, I spoke on this last year. And so my first response when I felt the Lord leading me to this particular scripture was, oh no, not that one again. And I'm just being really honest with you. And so some of you might actually be sitting there, some of you might be listening and thinking, oh, not this one again. But you know what? God's word is living and effective. I don't know how many thousands of times, if not tens of thousands of times, I have read and sung Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I know that off by heart. I learned that off by heart as a choir boy, as a, a, a school. I know that scripture so well. And yet God still speaks to me through it. God's word is living and effective. So don't ever rule out any part of this book and say, I've read that so many times. Let's allow God to be a living God and his spirit to impart his word to us because that's my prayer today. And so I, I, I'm being honest with you. This is the way I started with this scripture to, in pre preparing to share this. I started with, oh, not that scripture again. And then it came to, 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 to me a life afresh. I think, thank you, Lord. This is living and effective. So let me read it, first of all. Um, for those listening online, I'm reading from the New King James Version. That's up on screen. Let me read from Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there amongst you who, will, who if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Ask, seek, knock. Those three actions, asking. Now, what happens as the consequence of asking? What happens when somebody asks something? What's somebody else replies. Someone answers. Now, that's the purpose of asking. And if you ask, it, it should end with a question mark, because it should have a question. Would you mind if? Could you? You know, um, and I don't know what your spell checker on your computer's like, but mine says to me now, if I've typed a question and it looks like a question and it doesn't have a question mark at the end of it, it suggests, would you like to put a question mark at the end of it? Because it looks like a question. But you know, sometimes there are things that we can say that sound like questions and we're not sure. And sometimes there are questions we don't know whether you're asking us and you want us to answer or whether you're asking a rhetorical question. But let me say something interesting. These three, this is, this is where I started. This is, I think it was the theme of my last sermon I spoke on this. 
And I talked about the thing that I just quoted there, the continuous present tense that talks about having asked, having now asking and continuing to ask, having um, sought, continuing to seek, and, and uh, seeking and continuing to seek, having knocked, continuing to knock and, and going forward and knocking. And I, my, one of the things I was thinking about was believers. And I thought, you know, there was a time when I thought this scripture was focused on believers or non-believers, people who are people who are seeking. You know, and our question would be, are you there, God? Are you real? If you are real, show yourself to me. That's the kind of question, the asking. And then people seeking God, saying, you know, and people will come to church and say, I've come to find God. I've had people come to this church and say, I've come to find God today, as if God lived here. And of course, his presence is here because his people are here and that he wants to hang out with his people. But his, his presence is with us wherever we go. We just need to find. And then that element of knocking on the door. Now, what happens when you knock on a door? The expectation is that, I mean, the reason you're knocking on the door is because you expect that there's somebody behind that and you're hoping they're going to open the door and either let you in or whatever the purpose is you're there for. Maybe you're wanting to deliver a parcel. If you've ever worked for a courier company, it's it's if you if you celebrated your work day by how many times you were able to hand handle a parcel over, you'd be so disappointed because many times they're knocking on the door there's no one there and they've got to take it away again. And that means they've got to come back again. And so, you know, so knocking has a purpose. Knocking has a purpose because you hope that the door will be opened. Now, if, I don't know whether you've ever walked up to a house. Here's an example. I walked up to a house. Last year, I was visiting, I wanted to visit someone and the house was in complete darkness. There was not a light on at all. And uh, it was evening time. It's about seven o'clock. And I walked up to the front door. And I'll be honest with you, I looked at the house and I thought, they're not home from work yet. That was my honest thought. And so I nearly, I got to the door and I thought, they're not in. I'll go home. But you know what? I thought, no, I'm going to knock. So I walked up to the door and I knocked on the door. No response. So I thought, okay, I'm going. And as I turned to go away, the front light came on, the door opened, they said, Oh, hi, Dave. I'm sorry. I fell asleep. But do you know what? If I hadn't have knocked, and it was amazing, my mindset was defeated before I even thought about knocking. I was already choosing to be defeated before I even tried. It wasn't that I'd knocked once and then looked and thought, oh, the lights are... I hadn't even tried to knock. As I walked up to the door, I looked at the house and thought, there's no one in. And I was already beaten before I'd even tried. But no, I walked up and knocked anyway. And do you know what? I think this is something important. That sometimes we need to do these things despite what our eyes see. Despite what our mind thinks. Despite what our past experience has been. Maybe you've, you've applied for a promotion and you've been told five, six, seven times. No, no, not ready yet. Not ready yet. Or, no, there isn't a space for you. Or maybe you've applied to work from home or something like that. Something where you need permission. Something where something needs to happen. And so we get a default mindset that says, I won't ask, what's the point? Well, where's the faith in that church? 
The persistent widow kept on asking. She kept on knocking on the door until eventually the owner of the house came down. He gave in. He said, okay, I'll come. And so I just want to encourage you, if you want to ask, ask again. If you want to seek, seek again. And I'm including God in this. Maybe, maybe God is not being quite what you were hoping he was going to be doing it at this particular. He hasn't answered the prayer in the way you wanted it answered. Well, God often doesn't answer prayers in the way we want it answered. So sometimes I've got to be honest with you and say, okay, he's still hearing our prayer, but are we asking? The Bible says you do not have because you did not ask or you stopped asking. You know, so let's be persistent in prayer with God. Let's ask of God. Let's seek more of God. Let's knock on God's door. Do you want to click on that? Yeah? Here's something I want to say that I think is so important about questions. Do you know what? Silence speaks. And I've moved on from talking to God now. Sometimes God seems like he's silent and actually... He's talking in a different way. But I want to talk about us first of all. Silence speaks. If you don't believe me, gentlemen in the room, if you've got a partner, a wife, um, a daughter, and they turn to you and say, Daddy, husband, whatever, however they, they greet you, love, how do I look in this? They've just put a, a, a new dress on, put a new outfit on. So, what do you think? How do I look? Okay, that's too long to wait for an answer. You have already spoken. And if you, I'm already seeing some expressions around the room that says you've done that. We've been there. Yeah. Same with a child. Maybe a child comes home from school and says, Daddy, look at what I created. And maybe the picture isn't, you're trying to work out which way to hold the picture up. You know, find something fantastic to say about it. Oh, it's very colourful. Or tell me about the picture. Ask the child to take you into the picture and explain it to you. Don't allow your mindset to kind of limit your expression of how beautiful the picture is. But silence speaks. Let me give you a different example. Um, I was in a meeting well, probably three years ago now. And uh, somebody, somebody said, oh, Dave agrees with this. An item came up on the agenda and said, Dave agrees with this. I looked at it and thought, you know, I don't think I've ever spoken about this before. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how anybody would know my opinion on this. And so I turned to the lady who made the statement and said, I'm not sure I do. What makes you think that? And she said, well, two meetings ago, we discussed it and you didn't say anything. So you must agree. Silence speaks. Silence speaks. If you don't agree, sometimes you don't know how... Yeah, whether you agree or disagree, do you know what? Sometimes saying, yes, I agree with that. Sometimes saying, amen, is one of the most important things that we can do. Amen says, yes, let it be. Let, and I agree. And so uniting in prayer. Sometimes when we have corporate prayer and somebody prays a prayer out, out loud, it's great to go, amen, at the end, because it's not only good for us, because we're audibly going, I agree with that. I want to, I, if I could say that prayer as well as you said that prayer, I would have prayed that prayer. But we're also saying to ourselves, I agree with that. And then we're also saying to God, I agree with that. Hey, and we're also saying to the enemy, I agree with that. I'm in faith today for this. And so silence speaks. And we live in a world where 
so much is passed by silence. Majority. You know, there, there, is, there is a thing known as the silent majority. People who don't say anything, but they don't express an opinion. So you can't do anything with that. So silence speaks. So firstly, I would encourage you to speak into the moment. Speak into the moment and say something. I've, I've coached many students over the years, Christian and non-Christian. And one of the things I've said is if you ever find yourself in a house with other students... Do not allow yourself to go to the lowest common denominator. If you're sitting in the, in the lounge together on a Saturday night, and people say, well, what should we do tonight? Speak into the moment. Make a suggestion. Make something that's going to lift. Oh, let's watch this good film, a good wholesome film. Oh, let's have a chili. Or let's play a game. Some, because do you know what? If you just leave it for everybody else, it will drop to the lowest common denominator. And to be honest, you probably don't want to do what the lowest common denominator is. So speak into the moment. Okay, if people reject your idea, that's a different matter. But if you've kept silent and not made a suggestion, then your choice is not available. Well, they didn't choose what I wanted to do. Well, you didn't suggest it. They didn't even know it was an option. So say something different. Now, if you don't know what to say, ask God. Bible says, open your mouth and I will fill it. Do there have been times in my life when all I've had is the first word of the sentence that I'm going to say. In church, in business meetings, praying for people, prophesying over people, all I've had is the first word. And I've just spoken that first word, and that's the moment of faith. The moment of faith is the fact that I opened my mouth and spoke the first word. The rest was up to God. His word says, open your mouth and I will fill it. So... There's no point in me opening my mouth and doing the fish impersonation if I just open my mouth and don't say anything. So I need a word to start. So I say the first word, and that's the moment of faith. That's when I'm saying, okay, God, I've started. You said you will fill my mouth, so the rest is over to you. And I don't know whether that's true for you, but uh, if you want to live on the edge, it's a great place to start. Just by speaking the first word and saying, God, the rest is over to you. I'd suggest you pray before you start the sentence. But it only needs to be a quiet prayer. You know, Lord, I'm about to speak. Please give me some words. Fill my mouth. I trust you. So say something. Speak something. But you know, all this is the preamble. Because this is, this is not where I'm going. Just click on again. Okay. I only want to do, and it's interesting that I put this up, and Juliet, you almost said exactly the same thing. I only want to do what the, what I want, what the Father wants me to do. And I mean that as a person, I mean that as a household, I mean that as a church, I mean that at work. I want to do the right thing, I want to make the right choice. You come to a fork in the road, you can choose left or right. Well, left might be the long way and right might be the short way. Um, let me read on in Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, I don't know which you prefer. I can tell you, because you can find this on my sat-nav, that my sat-nav settings say, please choose the motorway first. I don't like junctions. I don't, I don't like standing still. That's my choice. So I'd rather drive a little longer 
on the motorway and keep moving than to go down somewhere. Now, let me characterize this for, for anybody who doesn't understand this. Um, in certain parts of the States, uh, if you go downtown, every block has traffic lights or yield signs on it, and you have or stop signs, and you have to stop. The law in America says you have to bring your wheels to stationary position, and then you can get moving. Even if there is no other car, you are meant to bring your wheels to a stationary position and then go. So you do not want to go downtown, let's say, um, 7 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Because it's very slow. You have to stop, and then you go to the next block, and then you have to stop, and then you have to go to the next block. Now, it works when it's busy. That's what it's for. But in the non-busy times, you don't want to do that. So my sat-nav settings say, I want to go on the freeway, on the motorway, not downtown. Because I like to keep moving. I don't like stopping. And I'm just being honest with you. Some of you are kind of nodding and smiling, so you're probably in the same boat as me. But yeah, I'd rather go a slightly longer way because I prefer the longer way. The narrow way is a harder way. You have to wrestle. You have to stop sometimes. Sometimes I believe the narrow way means stopping. God says, okay, pause. Take a breath. Look at what's around you. See what I want to show you. And this is where I'm going. And I'm going to go back to verses 7 to 12 in a moment and look at this in a different way. Not as a believer, not as someone seeking God, but as someone working with God and for God. Enter by the narrow. The narrow way will probably mean I need to take some time. It'll be a little slower. Well, I'll get there quite as quick. Maybe I'll stop and talk to some people on the way. You know, if you've ever walked, um, if you've ever been to Brighton, the shambles in Brighton. It's shambles. The, the narrow streets in Brighton. Really narrow streets. There's similar in York. There are various old cities around the UK where the streets are really narrow. And you come to places and you've got to wait for someone to come through. It's a bit, a bit like yield, but there aren't any signs. And you get to a very narrow bit and there'll be people coming the other way and you have to wait. Do you know what? People look at one another when they're having to wait. And they smile at one another instead of this, I'm just going to barge through. And I may have shared this story before, but I don't apologise that, but it's very applicable for me today. I was catching the train from Egham last year, and um, I left home in plenty of time to catch the particular train that I, I thought I was going to catch. And that train was going to get me into Waterloo and into London in plenty of time. In fact, if the train didn't arrive on time or I missed it, I still had another train that I could catch. That's the way I'd set it all up. And so I walked out my front door and bumped into Mark, who lives over the road from us. And he was walking down the path into Egham to go do some shopping. So we were chatting all the way. And I got to the road where I could go to the station. He could go into town. I said, oh, good to see you, Mark. Bye. Do you know what? I sat on the train as I was going into London and thought, do you know what? I could have walked all the way into Egham with him. And even I told him that I was going to catch the train. I could have walked all the way into Egham, had a, a much longer conversation with him and caught the later train. And I felt the Holy Spirit nudge me in the back and go, see, there's plenty of space and time. There's plenty of time to talk to people. You can do it on the way. So many of us in the modern world, and I, I, I'm falling guilty to this as well, we try and squeeze other things in between other things. Let me give you some examples. And I'm not knocking any of these. You want to, get, you want to do exercise? I tried doing exercise. I joined a gym. I'm not really very good at exercise. I'm just confessing that. But I joined a gym and I do go sometimes. But you know what? I found it much easier to walk somewhere. So I choose to walk. 
So when I get into London, Darren, you'd appreciate this, I get out of Waterloo and I walk to Trafalgar Square. I don't get on the tube, which is four stops, I think, three stops. I don't catch the tube, I walk. And I do my 10,000 steps every day. Well, nearly every day. Not quite every day. Some days I don't. You know, my legs are stronger as a consequence. I feel better. But do you know what? There was a time when I was jumping in the car to go and get a pint of milk. And then I was thinking, I need to find some time to do some exercise. And then I'd be rushing around and I'd go to the gym. And there was a time when I thought, you know, I'm struggling to find time to spend time with people in church. And it's, just, it's a, a very old story now. Uh, John, who was with us, he, I used to call him God's taxi driver. He always used to take people to the airport for me. But um, <coughs> I, had, I needed some business mileage. It was the time when you got a tax break for doing 18,000 miles on your car. So once you went over 18,000 business miles, then you got a further tax break. So it's a, it's a very old story here. And I was coming to the end of the tax year and I just want, if I'd have done an extra thousand miles in the last month, I'd be over my. So it was beneficial for me to do it. So I spoke to my boss and said, look, I've got a meeting in Copenhagen. I've got another meeting in Berlin. If I drive in my own time to these meetings, it will cost you less because you'll pay me less for the petrol than you would for the airfare. But I will get my business mileage. And that, he, my boss agreed with that. So I drove to Copenhagen. Now, here's the interesting thing I said to John. John was unemployed at the time. I said, John, do you want to come with me? Do you want to come to a trip to Copenhagen? I'm going to drive there. And part of my reason for doing this was, well, we can share in the driving on the way back. But also, I was going to spend hours in the car with the guy. So we drove all the way to Copenhagen, got there, stayed in a hotel. He had a whole day looking around Copenhagen whilst I went to my business meeting, came out of the business meeting, we got in the car and we drove back. My one little niggle with God was, got back in the car and I still felt really fresh. I said, John, um, I'll drive and then, you know, we'll, we'll take, a, take a break and then you can drive us to the Channel Tunnel. Um, it was foggy. Um, we were listening to a tape. John fell asleep. When John woke up, he said, oh, is it my turn to drive now? I said, well, we just pulled into the car park at the Channel Tunnel, so no. Um, but my point is, we spent a lot of time listening to some tapes together. We spent 12, 14 hours in the car there and back. We listened to some tapes. We had some conversation. We shared some stuff. I did it on the journey. I didn't have to find another space to squeeze something else in. And I'd encourage you, I honestly think there is an enormous amount of space for us to do stuff as people, as families, and as church on the journey. Um, if you talk to Josh and Ruth, they come from a culture where on the journey is more important than getting there. We live in a culture where people often ask, are we there yet? You might have children who say, are we there yet? But you know, a Middle Eastern culture would say, we're still on the journey and we're going to do stuff on the journey. And so I want to go back to this scripture again. I want to click on, if you can, um, to some further words, thinking about Matthew 7. Bullet point. Slide. Yes. So I want to go back to these words again. I'm going to read verses 7 and 8. But I want to put this in context. So rather than asking about God, I want us to ask of God. What is it you want me to do? In this moment, what is it you want me to do? And seek with God. Sorry, that's a typo from me. Um, seek with God. So ask God, well, what is it? What is it you want to show me? And then on behalf of God, knock for God. So we become his ambassadors. We become his witnesses. It's us. We are his hands and his feet. We go 
and we do what God asks us to do. We ask God, what do you want us to do? And show us, and then we go and do it. Matthew 28, in a nutshell. Seek a new, you know, um, go ye into all the world. Preach the gospel, making disciples. So let me read these couple of verses at the beginning of seven, Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And to him who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. You know, this is especially true when we ask God, what does he want us to do? Because he wants to outwork his plan in us and through us. Ask of God. Seek with God. And then knock for God. Now I'll go back to a similar but different example. I was There was somebody that I was visiting a few years ago who wasn't very well. Um, and um, I committed that I was going to go and visit them. Didn't come to church very often, but I went to visit them. You know, and sometimes I'd knock on the door. It had taken me 20, 25 minutes to get there. I'd knock on the door, and the curtains would twitch. The curtains would... I knew someone was in, but the door was not being opened. And I'm sharing with this because, do you know what? I think there's an important thing that we need to do as believers, and that's to leave a journey of faith. To take a journey of faith. And having knocked on the door, I went away. Do you know what? With a conversation with this uh, friend later, he said he listened and thought differently. He listens to the enemy who said, see, the church doesn't care. Because I knocked once and then I went. I saw the curtain twitch and thought, okay. But sometimes I was too quick with going. He said, to to my confession, he said, sometimes, Dave, you knocked and I was in my pyjamas and I was upstairs fast asleep. And so when you saw the curtains twitch, you saw me looking out to see who it was. Then I had to change out my pyjamas and come down. And by the time I came down, you've gone. You know, to my shame, I thought... Okay. If I'm going to knock with the belief that the door's going to be open, then I ought to be willing to wait. If I'm going to look, then I'm looking to find something. So when I don't see something, maybe I ought to pause a little longer. Now, I, I don't know whether this is... I've been told this is true. I know it's true about me. My wife can say, oh, it's in this drawer or it's in that cupboard. And I'll open the cupboard and I'll look and I'll, I can't see it. And I'll shut the door and she'll come back and she'll open the same cupboard and she'll go, there it is. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether I'm cupboard blind. I don't know whether I'm looking for a different color package. But I'm also impatient. I'm also impatient. I want things instantly. We live in a world of instant response. And so, and, and here's an example in the world that I play I've been told that in the next generation, the 20-somethings of today, if the web page that you go to takes one second longer to open, then they've already moved on. That's the world that we live in. And think about that in terms of faith. Think about that in terms of praying. Think about that in terms of seeking, knocking, asking. It's time for dinner. 
No one's come down. Ten seconds later, it's already, it's on the table. Another ten seconds later, I'm going to throw it in the bin if you're not going to come and eat dinner with me. There is an impatient, we live in an impatient world. And one of the gifts of the Spirit is patience. And so, church, I just want to say these things. Let's ask of God. Let's seek with God. And let's knock for God. So, yeah, I know, I typed it wrong, yeah. That was my mistake. Seek with God. You seek the goodness as well, but... Um, but I, I just want to go back to an element of the original sermon, the last time I shared about this, having asked, now asking, and continuing to ask. But I want to ask you some different questions now. Is there a prayer that you've given up on? Is there a prayer that you've stopped praying? Is there a prophetic word that you've put on the shelf and it's gathering dust right now because you can't see how it's ever possible for that to come to pass? Is there a miracle that you stopped asking for because you can't see how it's going to happen anymore? That's in asking. In seeking. Have you stopped looking? My wedding ring, this wedding ring, this wedding ring, I lost uh, many years ago now. We were doing some stuff in the garage. I was sorting the garage out. I don't know what your garage is like, but our garage was full of stuff. We don't have a garage anymore. Um, It was full of stuff. I was tidying it up. I finished tidying up. I spent almost the whole day in there. Came to the end of the day, came to wash my hands, was about to take my ring off and thought, no ring. My first thought was I put it down somewhere because sometimes when it's cold, I don't like rings that are tight on my fingers. So my ring comes off and on. So if my fingers get cold, I have to watch it. My first thought was, okay, I might have been doing something dangerous. Did I put it down somewhere? I went and looked everywhere, looked for weeks, didn't find it. But in my spirit, uh, I, I didn't feel I'd lost it. You know, sometimes you feel you've lost something and it's gone. Sometimes you're not sure. And sometimes you're absolutely sure that I just, I just knew. I, I just knew that I knew that I knew that I hadn't lost it in the sense that it hadn't gone forever. And it was uh, nine months later. Again, clearing out the garage, sweeping up, sweeping some stuff up on the floor. There was a clink, clink, clink across the floor. I looked down. There was my wedding ring. And I just want to encourage you. Look. Keep on looking. Keep on looking. Keep on, keep on encouraging others to look for God. And then keep on knocking. The whole purpose of knocking on the door is that the door will be opened. And sometimes we can do this on the journey together. Sometimes this will be about doing it with a friend. Juliet gave me a great example that I can help to close out with this morning. So she said, let's pray. And she took a lady into a quiet room and prayed, and God answered the prayer. And it wasn't just about the thing being found. It was about Juliet connecting with her friend. It was about putting faith into action. It was about raising up prayer. There's so many dimensions to that story that apply to this. It's not just about you praying. It's about doing it together, about two or three agreeing together. And so... I'm going to close things out by playing a, playing a video. I hope this is going to work. This is a video of a reverend addressing the United Nations in New York in 2015. I'm not going to play all of it. It's about five minutes long. I'll put it up on Facebook. I'll play the first two or three minutes. But I just want you to think this was an address to the United Nations. And then just see how, how big your, how far your jaw drops. 
who are looking at a miracle. By all medical expertise, I'm not supposed to be alive. On November 12, 2003, I fell dead of a massive heart attack in the airport in Sydney, Australia. I was clinically dead 45 minutes. They administered CPR, resuscitation, and they gave me 10 electric shock treatments to my heart. In the United States, they give three shock treatments and they stop. In Australia, they give four shock treatments and they stop. They gave me 10 electric shock treatments to my heart. The blood had coagulated already from my hands and my arms, my feet and my legs. There was absolutely no hope for me at all. I was just a corpse. They took my body and put it on a stretcher and carried it to an ambulance. And the paperwork had been finished and it was DOA, dead on arrival at the hospital. But in the ambulance, on the way to the hospital, with all that medical science knew to do, and with all that was at their disposal to administer, it did not work. But in the ambulance, just a corpse lying on that stretcher, Jesus stepped on board that ambulance, and my heart began to beat, and the breath came back. The driver was startled. The paramedic was startled. He told me later, he said, I have never seen anyone recover from what has happened to you. This all happened November 12, 2003. After several weeks in Australia, I returned to the United States to my home by myself because I was totally healed. In 2004, I went to a hospital in Jackson, Tennessee for just a major checkup, and they gave me a complete blood lipid profile, triglycerides, LDLs, HDLs, cholesterol, etc. In a couple of weeks, I went back for the results, and when I walked in, the doctor looked at me and he said, your results are absolutely excellent. He said, but Reverend, we now can check the DNA in a person's body. We decided to check your DNA. He said, when we checked your DNA, he said, when God raised you miraculously from the dead, he removed the APOE genome genetic marker for heart disease out of every cell in your body. He said, that is impossible. It's impossible. He said, only God could do such a thing. He said, when God healed you and raised you up, he totally, miraculously healed you. So I am grateful today to be alive because we know 
Having been clinically dead for 45 minutes, with no breath and no heartbeat. You get the gist of things. He came to life, even though he was clinically dead. And this, is, this isn't just some wacko video here. This is a presentation to the United Nations two years ago. And so I want to challenge us in closing out. I want us, us to sing a song. It's called All Things Are Possible. But I want us to make a decision. For those listening online, for those listening later, for those in the room today, if there's one of those things, there's something that you've stopped asking for, there's something you want God to do, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. If there's a prayer that you want to ask afresh, I'm going to ask you to stand where you are. If there's something you want God to do again, maybe he's done it once and it needs doing again for whatever reason, let's ask him. But would you stand right now? I'm not going to come around and pray for you. We're going to trust God that he's going to minister to us through this song as we make this declaration. We're going to stand and we're going to believe. So if, if you have a, if, if, there, if you want to seek again, if you want to ask again, if you want to knock again, would you stand? There's something that you're standing for, somebody you're standing for. I'm standing. I need to be standing for something, so I'm going to stand again. And I'm just being honest with you guys. I'm not stand. One of the reasons why I need to stand is because I got lazy. I got lazy about asking. I got lazy about asking. I got, you know, and so let's sing this song. Let's sing this song. All, all things are possible. And let's declare it to one. If you want to sing it over someone, if you want to sing it over yourself, well, let's stand and let's praise God as we do this.